Why do bad things happen to good people? Now, if you could get a private audience with the Lord or with Jesus, is that one of the questions you'd ask him? I think for many of us, uh, maybe all of us, we, that, that's been one. We are, whether that's, you know, why do bad things happen to good people or the more personal version of it. Lord, what did I do to deserve this? So just imagine if you, if you had for just a minute, you had this private audience with Jesus. You could say, okay, here's my question. Well, the passage we're going to look at today, and we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. So I encourage you in your paper Bibles or your digital Bibles, however you access God's word, to, uh, to see if you can find Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Now, we're in a series called Kingdom Parables. These are parables of the kingdom of God. And these are stories. I mean, parables are they're, they're fictitious stories, but they are, they are profound carriers of truth. Because see, the parables, they, they help to reframe situations. They, they, they help us to see reality more clearly. Which is why Jesus told parables. You know, the, we, we get these metaphors that help us to, to, to get our heads around something that on our own we, we would otherwise miss or just could not see. So they're profoundly important. And as we pick things up, um, so because first, first week of the series, we were in Luke chapter 12, and Jesus is he's, he's preaching now to this large group, so thousands and thousands of people, and he's been teaching on a variety of topics. And then we find ourselves in Luke chapter 13. So let's pick up the story, and um, well, let's spend some time with this really key question, the one that every one of us has asked, and amazingly enough, um, we're not the first. We're not the first generation to ask this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? And where Jesus gives, more than any other place in Scripture, gives a direct answer to that question, though I am warning you, it, he doesn't answer in the way that we would like. So this message, uh, just uh, strap in. <laughs> uh, it's, the road's going to get a little rocky before it gets smooth. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 13, 1 through 9. Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Ew. And Horrible. Jesus answered, Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or, or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others who were living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, 
you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree that was growing in his vineyard, and he went out to go look for fruit on it. Well, hang on. Man had a fig tree. This is a fake fig tree. A fake fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went out to go look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he called the man who took care of the vineyard, and he said, for three years I've been coming to this fig tree looking for fruit, but I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why, why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for a year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit, fine. If not, cut it down. So let's dive into the story. Let's swim around a little bit. And let's see what's being talked about here. So somebody in the crowd, um, this is actually the second parable that seems to pop out of somebody in the crowd just saying some random weird thing. And apparently there had been some large scale, uh, probably like violent event. Now, um, all the other uh, stories in Luke where, you know, like the, um, the Roman census, for example, or who was, where Quirinius was governor of Syria, all of those things we, rec- we, we see recorded in the history books. I mean, Luke, uh, more than any other gospel writer, I mean, really grounds the story of Jesus in actual, actual history. Now, for these two events that are referred to here, we don't actually have... Um, kind of corroborating evidence. We don't have, there's no secular record of those things exactly. Um, but it seems like these kind of events were happening pretty frequently in Israel at the time. Like um, I was reading a commentary, uh, William Barclay, uh, he, he records where um, uh, a few years prior to when this event would have happened, uh, Pilate was wanting to build an aqueduct between reservoirs, the, the pools of Solomon, it's about two miles outside of Jerusalem, into Jerusalem itself. And to pay for this public works uh, project, large-scale public works project, because the remains are still in, outside of Jerusalem now, uh, he, he drew money from the temple treasury. In other words, he stole from the church in order to pay for a big public works project. And as you might imagine, the priests got really upset by that. People got really upset by that, and they started to protest. And so um, what Pilate did is he had some of his soldiers dressed as civilians, had them be part of the crowd, and when the leaders of the crowd started the protest, he had them all slaughtered. That's Pilate. So apparently... um, there were some people from Galilee, Galileans, that did something that Pilate didn't like, and so he had them killed. But it seems these kind of events were happening all, all the time. It may not be one an event for the history books. It certainly would have made the newspaper. Uh, and presumably, if we were to dig long enough, somewhere in the Middle East, we'd find a piece of parchment, we'd find a clay tablet, we'd find something that recorded this event, because every other major historical event in Luke, we see historical evidence of it. 
but like I said, um, violent activity was happening all the time. I was reading this week how I mean, in the last year in the United States, we've had more than 500 mass violent events. Of course, many of those are gun-related, but uh, we're super creative folks, and so there's also knives and cars, and I mean, we just find all sorts of ways to kill one another. And unfortunately, like, I mean, every single one of those events is absolutely tragic and horrific. And you don't remember all of them, nor do I. That's kind of what's going on there. But it's a current event, and people are bringing it up. And so Jesus brings up another current event where a tower somewhere in, I mean, Siloam is part of Jerusalem. A tower falls and 18 people die. That would be definitely newspaper worthy. And people are thinking about it. And as it happens, they're asking the same question that we ask when something bad happens. Why do, why do bad things like this, like mass violent events, like, and we, and we don't know whether the tower was an engineering mistake or whether that was a result of an earthquake, but why do people just die like that? Jesus, please tell us that they did something to deserve it. Please. Why do bad things happen to otherwise good people? And then Jesus, he gives an answer. But it's not the answer we want. I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Almost like he was saying, I understand that you're asking. And you even notice in the, in the passage, it says Jesus answered. Like he understands that there is a question behind their comment. Jesus answered, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. It's as if he, he is saying, I know you're asking why do bad things happen to good people. You realize there are no good people. There are none. In fact, you're asking the wrong question. I need to kind of sit with that for a minute. Because I, I, don't, I don't like that. I don't like how Jesus answered that. I like to think of myself as a good person. Why I watch reality TV. I see what they do and I go, oh, I'm doing fine. You know? <laughs> okay. I watch some of The Golden Bachelor. Anybody else watch The Golden Bachelor? Put your hand up. Guilty. I'm like, my marriage is great. That's all I know. <sighs> I'm pretty good. <laughs> I'm pretty good. I'm doing awesome. <laughs> I'm at least better than least better than 49% of the population. I'm somewhere, wherever the medium is, I am at least just barely over. I am a good person. 
And so I, 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 don't, I don't like what Jesus is saying here. Why do bad things happen to good people, Jesus? He says they don't. We're all, you're all bad. And in order to help us understand that more clearly, he tells a parable. This is why, why we need these stories, right? He reframes the issue, reframes it. So there's a man who has a fig tree. This is a fake fig tree, quite fake. Fig trees don't look a thing like this. Um, but he had a fig tree that was growing in his vineyard, and he comes to the fig tree, and he's looking for fruit, and it doesn't have any fruit. So he, he calls over the person who tends the vineyard and says, I've been coming to this tree looking for fruit for the last three years, and there's no fruit. Now, if you are an orchardist, and some of you are orchardists, if you have a tree that doesn't produce fruit for three years, would you potentially cut it down? Yeah! It's just business. Um, a few years ago, well, we had a, we, 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 when we bought our house, we, we planted an apricot tree in the backyard, and it was, uh, it was a really, it was a nice tree, produced apricots for a little while, then it got some sort of a disease thing, and so we, I, I can't even remember the name of the thing, but, um, but my, my dad, who is a silviculturalist, he knows a lot about trees, so I trust him on all this stuff. He's, you know, you're probably nothing you can do, so you cut it down. So we cut down the tree, and we planted a, a mock cherry in the same spot. In, instead, and we, we didn't hold a vigil for the tree. We, we, we had a little campfire <laughs> in a fire pit for the tree, but we, we held no vigil for the tree because it's just a tree. Are you uncomfortable yet? I'm uncomfortable. You okay? Told you, not everything Jesus says, everything Jesus says is true, but not all of it's easy. Cut it down. Cut it down. Why should it continue to use up the soil? Well, before, let's talk a little. So in this story, in this parable, we've got three characters. Two of them talk. One of them doesn't say anything at all because it's a tree. So So we've got two characters. Who, who, who's, who's what? Who, in the story, who are we? The tree. The tree. We're the, we're the tree. I, I'm, the, I'm the tree. You're the tree. Still doing all right? <laughs> okay, we're the tree. Okay, so the, and then we've got two other people, two other people who speak. Um, so the first one is the one who, who, who owns the, the vineyard and owns the tree. And then we've got the other one. What's, what's the, the other character who says something? 
The gardener. I like that. Yeah, the gardener. Gardener. The gardener. The gardener. Huh. Hang on to that phrase, by the way. The gardener. That's one of those metaphors that just resonates all throughout Scripture. Genesis chapter 2, the first job that God gives Adam after he forms him out of the dust and breathes life into him is he goes, tells him to go tend the... Adam's first job is to be the gardener. How does he do? Badly. Really badly. Really, really badly. John chapter 20, when Jesus is resurrected, the, probably the very first Jesus, post-resurrection Jesus sighting, Mary Magdalene comes to the empty tomb and she sees Jesus, doesn't know it's him, but instead thinks that he's the gardener. Oh my. Gardener. Gardener. Okay. So we've got the landowner. Got the gardener. And we've got the tree. We've already established that we're the tree. Okay. Who's the landowner? God. God. Okay. Who's the gardener? Also God. <laughs> yeah. Je- Jesus. Jesus. But no, or I like to think of it this way. Now, now this, this is, here's, a, here's a, an, an illustration within the illustration that maybe is not theologically complete, but this is maybe helpful, help, helpful for this. So God the Creator, God, God, God the Father, who as, is God together with the Son and through the Holy Spirit, creates the universe. Out, out of the overflow of their relationship and love, creates the universe. And in that universe, for that universe to work, he puts law, physical laws in place, things like the laws of gravity that um, yeah, ultimately hold the universe and us. You really get down to it on a molecular level, holds us together. So he puts these physical laws in the universe because he delights in it. It's an overflow of his creation. It was good. It was good. It was good. And the same God also puts moral laws in the same universe because he wants the universe to be good. So the moral laws are just as real as the physical laws that govern the universe. And at the, as the prize item of creation, he creates humanity, male and female. He created them in his image. He created them. He delights in his creation. He delights in you and us. But there is a problem with these image bearers that he created. And that's that they rebel against the foundational moral laws of the universe. So what do you do? What do you do? As we read the Old Testament, we can see God, I mean, letting us into insights into, into the inner workings of the Trinity. Should I just wipe the whole, should I just wipe them all out and start again? He could. Because here is this prized creation that does not, does, because they have all this freedom, because they're made in the image and likeness of God, because they can discern between good and evil, and they so often choose evil, what do we do because they are breaking the world? But rather than wipe them out, God chooses to intervene. 
And so he, along with those foundational moral laws of right and wrong and good and evil, he, he creates, if you, if you would, these, um, these pathways where one person can take the guilt of another. We see it in the Old Testament in the animal sacrifices. It's never complete. It's never long-lasting. But another creature can actually bear some of the guilt of, of these fractured humans. Until we get to the story of Jesus. Where one perfect human, fully God, fully man, can do what no person can do on their own. So in the story, at least I, I like to think of it as, as, as Jesus tells a story that essentially personifies these two core aspects of God's nature. In one sense, God is absolutely just. He's created a world that is intended, that is intended to be good. Which means there are foundational moral laws for the entire universe. And by those foundational moral laws, none of us, none of us measure up. We're all fruitless trees consuming more soil than we are producing fruit. We even call ourselves consumers. Does that, does that, like, does that not resonate? We're told, you know, your job is just consume more stuff. And so we do. So often we make, we, we, we consume more than we give. Like a fruitless tree. And so God, in his justice, in his justice, has every right to say, just, just cut them down. Why should we waste more energy on this thing? But that's not the end of the story, is it? Thank God that is not the end of the story. The other aspect, this personified aspect of God's nature, God is the full epitome, while he is the full epitome of justice, he's also the full, the, the full manifestation, full expression of mercy and kindness. And so the, the gardener, the second Adam, the gardener says, no, 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 leave it alone. I'll dig around it. And I will fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, fine. If not, cut it down. Who fertilizes the tree? The gardener. gardener. Who's the tree? Us. Us. Who's the gardener? Jesus. I think the, this metaphor of the tree, it can be really helpful. It has a lot to say, say to us. 
If we're like a tree, and I realize it's a metaphor, it doesn't mean it's the complete picture of everything. If we're like the tree and Jesus is like the gardener who fertilizes the tree, just, just think about what that means for how, how, we, how we seek to have fruitful lives in Christ. When a tree produces fruit, is it because the tree exercises its will just perfectly? Like this tree is just like, I will make an apple. Apple, 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 apple. There it is. Wow. <laughs> Check that out. Is that, is that how it works for a tree? You just, just, just try harder, tree. So we can drill, sergeant. You! I'm, I'm not going to use nasty words. You useless tree, just come on. Produce some apple. Give me an apple. Give me a fig. Fig. Now, fig, drop and give me 20. Fig! Like, could you drill, Sergeant, this tree into producing more fruit? No. How, how about, can I inspire the tree into producing more fruit? Just put a picture of an apple on the wall. And every day, just say, I claim, I claim that apple. This is my, de- that's your destiny apple. Or, or, or as, you're a, as you're a big fake fig tree, big de- you're de- just dream about your figs. Can you? That doesn't work either. Th- though, I mean, I mean, all kidding aside, I mean, there are times we need a word of admonishment. And there's definitely times we need words of encouragement. What does the tree need? Needs fertilizer. So let's just assume that, there, that the pollinators are in place. Let's assume that the water is in place. Let's assume that there's adequate sunlight. For a tree to be productive, what it needs to be is healthy. It needs to be healthy even more than it needs to be motivated. It needs to be healthy. It needs to have the right stuff in the soil. In fact, when there's something lacking from the soil, the tree just cannot produce fruit. Which is why good orchardists, good gardeners, know to, to figure out what's missing from the soil and make certain it's now present in the soil. That's what turns around a fruitless tree. To bear fruit in our lives spiritually. And here... I mean, we think about the fruit, what it means to bear fruit. As Christians, we think of things like Galatians 5, where Paul writes, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are things that result from an abiding relationship with Christ by the Holy Spirit. Results from that. Because we've all experienced the fake fruit too, right? Have you had those times, you know, you're, you're like, I am a Christian, so I'm going to have to be nice to them. And so you go into an environment and you, and you just kind of toughen up and you're like, you put on your smile and you do your thing and you're just so nice. And then you leave and you're rolling your eyes. We all do it. And that's called fake fruit. It's the appearance of love without the presence of love. Whew. 
And Jesus isn't in, Jesus isn't interested in you faking it till you make it. What he longs for you and for me and for us is to actually be healthy. So for, for a, a fig tree, and again, I'm using this, this, the fake plant as an example, if it's got the right nutrients in the soil around it, what's its job? To produce, but it, to do that, all it needs to do is just, it needs to take it in. The nutrients are there, it just needs to take it, like, just keep your roots in the good soil and take it in. And then, dear tree, you will bear fruit. This parable reminds us that the consequences of a fruitless life are really high. Or, or I, I went mixed metaphors, but the, you know what I mean. Really severe. The consequences are severe. I'm the vine. You are the branches, Jesus says. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. The wrong question is, as honest as it is, is why do bad things happen to good people? Because Jesus says, I'm sorry to tell you this, there are no good people. The right question to ask is why do so many good things happen to bad people? And Jesus answers that one as well. Because I love them. Because I want everyone to have a chance. I want everyone to have a chance. So as we look to apply this to our life, um, remember that the goal, the goal, the goal for fruit and God wants you to bear fruit in your life. And it's more about your character than your actions because your actions flow out of your character. The goal is not that you try harder or knuckle down more. The goal is to be healthy in Him. To take in the fertilizer, if you will, that he freely offers. That his spirit is available. His love is freely given. We are much less righteous than we assume of ourselves. But we are more loved than we could ever imagine. So as we apply this to our lives and we apply this in, our, to, in prayer, I invite you to pray 
something like this with me. Help me, Jesus. Help me. Because the honest, the honest to God truth is I cannot make it on my own. I cannot do it on my own. You don't need to listen to that voice of the inner drill sergeant. Though there are times when we need admonishment. You don't just need a better pep talk. Though there's nothing wrong with a pep talk. What I need in the depth of who I am, in the very core, is I need, I need Jesus living in me. He's the nutrients in the soil, and all we can do is receive it. Lord, thank you that you love me. Lord, thank you that you have plans for me. Lord, thank you that you want my life to bear fruit, and I cannot do any of it without you. God, forgive me for trying to do that. Help me to abide in you, to let you in, to trust you daily. Help me, Jesus.